ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستهديه ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان سيدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله ونبيه وصفيه وحبيبه بلغ الرساله وادى الامانه ونصح للامه وجاهد في سبيل الله حتى اتاه اليقين وتركنا على المحجه البيضاء ليلها كنهارها لا يزيغ عنها الا هالك فاللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الاولين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الاخرين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الملا الاعلى الى يوم الدين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في كل وقت وحين وعلى اله الاطهار وعلى اصحابه الاخيار وعلى اتباعه الابرار الى يوم الدين يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما وبعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وان خير الهدي هدي سيدنا ومولانا رسول الله وان شر الامور لمحدثاتها فكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار One of the unique features of the Quran are the many stories that we have. And when you look at all of the verses of the Quran, only 300 verses or so speak to the matters of the Sharia, to matters of halal and haram. But the rest of the Quran, over 6000 verses of the Quran are dedicated to all of these stories that we have. Some of them are a few verses, some of them are entire chapters and some of the stories like the story of Moses alayhi salam for example are throughout all of the Quran throughout all of the chapters. And the reason we have these stories is that it's natural that we learn from stories. If the Quran were just all verses of percentages of zakat distribution and these type of things we would not learn the way we learn from stories because those issues are technical issues the entirety of the message of the of the quran and the sunnah and you've heard me say this before over 97% of the quran and 97% of the hadith are dedicated to these stories and these stories we believe are timeless and they help us navigate the turbulence of life and there is nobody amongst us who has had a life free of conflict free of tension free of tribulation free of challenges but that's just a part of of the human condition 
Sometimes things are good, but sometimes things are bad. Sometimes things are easy, but then sometimes things are difficult. And there are many amongst us who have lost, whether they be children or parents or relatives or friends. And there are those amongst us who have been challenged with sickness and with, with disease and terminal illness. There are those amongst us that have been challenged with financial difficulties and debt, so on and so forth. How do we deal with the bitter parts of life? How do we deal with those challenges? And I was reading this morning a little bit in the story of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, And I think there are three points from the story of Abraham and Ismail salam, that are good for us to remember. Nothing, I'm not saying anything new. You know the story. You know the story of, of Abraham and Ismail. But when we look at those stories, the point is not just to read the stories for the chronology. We know what happened. But it's for us to pause, as we do on Friday, to reflect just a moment about what those stories mean for us. And what lessons do we draw from those stories. Now Abraham, as we understand, was childless for a long time. And for people that are married, that do not have children, that long now, as a parent who has children, I always wonder why people want children. But if you don't have children, and this is the case, you long for that child. You know, the house is empty. Oh, if the house was empty, right? <laughs> but the house is empty. Who is there to help me in my old age? Who is there to carry on the name? You know, this is a natural thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed. This is what we call al-fitra. This is the natural disposition of the human being. You know, even though I complain, but I still love my children, right? It's natural. Ibrahim was no different, that he was childless. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his old age gave him Ismail. And of course after Ismail came Ishaq right, who was also a prophet. And we know that Ishaq is the father of Yaqub and Yaqub is the father of Yusuf right, So that's why Yusuf is Al-Kareem, Ibn Al-Kareem, Ibn Al-Kareem, Ibn Al-Kareem because of that lineage. But Ismail was the first. And there's always a unique place that the first child has. It's the first that you've been given. And if you're a parent, you know, maybe of my generation, you remember when you had your first child, you, you became an expert. You read all the books about child rearing. You found out what all the gadgets are for, the, the right gadgets for the kids. You know, you, you were going to like custom make the perfect child. By the time the second and the third and the fourth child comes on, it says doesn't matter. You know, you, you realize that all of that doesn't really matter. But in the beginning, it's very special. But in that special moment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks Abraham and gives him the most difficult task, which is to take his wife, Hajar, the Egyptian, and I underscore Egyptian many times, the Egyptian mother of Ismail, all the way to this valley of Bekka, in which there is nothing. There is no Kaaba at this time, there is no Zemzem, there are no tribes, there's nothing. It's completely barren, other than we know that it was called the Valley of Bekka. So he takes them on this journey, and you know, Abraham and Ismail and Hajar were not Arabs. Hajar was Egyptian, she was Coptic, she probably spoke the Coptic language, which is like a, essentially a dead language now. They were Semites, of course, but they were not Arabs. 
So they don't know the language of this region, they're not from this region, and they're left with nothing, literally nothing. So Hajar turns to Abraham as he leaves, because she senses that there is something that is different. And she says, Allahu amarak bihada. Has Allah commanded you to do this? So he nods in the affirmative. And then she says, Therefore he will not cause us to perish. That moment that of that statement of Hajar and also of Ibrahim, because Ibrahim he backs off, he walks away and then he turns to them and he makes dua. He asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to cause the hearts of people to swell around this place. And as we see now, you know, millions and millions of pilgrims, tens of millions of pilgrims every year going to Mecca from this dua of Sayyidina Ibrahim. But that, that's the moment of absolute reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's easy to say that we rely on God when we have everything that we have. That's easy. It's easy to, to say I rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you're healthy. It's easy to say I rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when I have wealth. It's easy to say I rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when everything is going copacetic. But when you are without, when you are in the minus, when you are in the negative, when you are down, that is where the real faith shines. And this was pure faith. Pure because there was nothing there that the observable person, that the calculating person would say, okay, you have some assets, you have something going for you. And then Ismail, alayhi salam, as an infant, starts uh, screaming from hunger. Because now Hajar has no more milk to give. And then the screaming of hunger increases to the point that he starts making the sounds of somebody who's dying. So her child is dying. And she's sitting there in the middle of nowhere. And she starts running back and forth between the two mountains looking for something, looking. And we know the story. And then Gabriel appears. And with his foot or with his wing, there's two narrations. He you know, digs this water. And this is where the Zamzam comes from. But not only is this a miracle that we believe in from the point of view that now there's this sustenance, but look at what happens because of Zamzam. Because of this reliance, Allah will not cause us to perish. Okay, now they have water. But that's, you know, can you just survive on water and that's it? I mean, that's a pretty tough existence. Maybe you can extend your life a couple of months. And then how about the loneliness? It's just her and this infant. But because of the water, birds start drinking from the water and congregating. So the neighboring tribe, the Arabs have always been, or up and at that time there were nomads. So those Arabs, what we call the Arabizing Arabs, Al-Arab Al-Mu'araba, these are the original Arabs, the, the tribe of Jurhum. They see these birds in a place where they're not used, so they know that there's something there, so that they come and that they settle, and this is where the town of Mecca emerges from. And then Ismail becomes Arabized, he learns the Arabic language and he grows up. And now there's a town and now there's water and now there's food and they flourished. But it all began with that reliance that we have to rely always that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not out to get us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not trying to hurt us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not trying to destroy us. But we have to believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not cause us to perish. Taha ma anzalna alayka al-Qur'ana litashqa. Allah addresses the Prophet Sallallahu and He calls him Taha because some people they believe that Taha is not one of the names of the Prophets. One of the names of the Prophet. You know they can go somewhere else and play. 
We have not revealed this Qur'an to make you miserable. That this is supposed to liberate us. But it has to begin with that, that movement of belief, that movement of reliance. So Abraham relies, Hajar relies on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they flourish. That's one big takeaway lesson. And you can follow that theme throughout that story. The other lesson that is part and parcel of reliance is actually doing the work. So Hajar didn't just give up and say, okay, Allah's not going to you know, cause us to perish. I can just hang out and wait for something to happen. No, she worked. She worked and she ran and she searched and she did everything that she could at that moment to seek out water or to seek out sustenance. And to make this point crystal clear, this is part of the Umrah and the Hajj rites. That you, your Umrah is not complete and your Hajj is not complete unless you do the Sa'i between the Safa and the Marwa. Well, why do we do that? To remember and to commemorate what Hajar did. In other words, you have to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but you also have to do the work. You can't just rely and say, okay, I'm a, I'm a believer, I rely, everything is going to work out. No, you have to exert maximum effort. But the difference is you don't rely on the effort. You rely on what's behind the effort. That's the lesson. Because Islam grew up in an agrarian societies, all of our examples are always you know, farming based. And sometimes we don't get that. But this one you can, we can understand. When a farmer farms, when a farmer uh, grows crops, they have to plant the seed at the right time. You can't plant in the wrong season and expect the, you know, the product to, to emerge. You have to tend to the weeds. You have to feed the, the soil. You have to go through all those actions. But when the farmer puts the seed in the ground and goes through all the actions, they say, Ya Rab, Ya Allah, make, make this grow. Can we cut the heat, Riyal? Or can we maybe get a window open? I don't want to faint. One of my teachers, he said, nobody ever died giving the khutbah. People die when they pray, but no one has been recorded in our history that died giving the But, you know, we could faint if it's too hot. So the farmer, he has that reliance. Because you could do all the right things. You could follow the manual. You could do everything the right way. And anyone who's had IKEA furniture knows what I'm talking. You could follow everything the right way. But then something is wrong. You can't sit in the chair. You can't sleep in the bed. The table doesn't hold the stuff. It falls. It wobbles. Something happens. But you did all the things. You followed all the instructions. And that's really, I mean, we joke about it. But that's the point of the lesson. Is that we have to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we have to exert maximal effort. But we can't rely just on that effort alone. So when the outcome happens positive, we should be grateful to the Lord. And say, Alhamdulillah. And when his action doesn't happen the way we planned, Allah wills, it just didn't happen. But I did everything that I could. Let me learn from what happened and try again next time. Why is this lesson important? And what does this have to do with tragedy and difficulties and death and other things, the negative things that I began with? Is that if we train ourselves to have this attitude, if we train ourselves to work, but to rely on God at the same time, the way that Abraham and Ismail and Hajar and of course our Prophet and all of the Anbiya did, then we will understand how to categorize and how to place 
those negative things that happen in our life. When the Prophet ﷺ went to Ta'if, which was really a very sad moment in his life. You know, Mecca is gone. Nothing is going to come from that. The Meccans are out to destroy the Prophet ﷺ and all of the believers. He's getting trash thrown on him. People are trying to kill him. People are trying to kill his daughters. You know, it's his own family cuts him off. So he said, let me go to Ta'if. Let me go to this other city and see if they'll listen. And he goes to Ta'if, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he gets even worse, a worse reception in Ta'if than he did in Mecca. They threw stones at him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, until he bled. And there's that famous dua when he left Ta'if, and he's hanging out in the orchard. And he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if this is not from your anger with me, then I will not worry. On the outside, we would call that a failure. We would say that the Prophet ﷺ failed in that mission. The objective was to go and to get people, recruits, you know, converts, whatever word we want to use. He's a salesman. He's marketing his product. And no one bought the product. We would say that he failed. But the Prophet ﷺ did not fail. Because the outcome is not with him. The outcome is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ أَحْبَبْتُ وَلَكِنَ اللَّهُ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءُ You can't guide whom you want, but we guide whom we will, God says. But his job was to go through those actions. But his reliance was not on his actions, it was on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he turned that, you know, that expression, you, turn lemon, you, you make lemonade out of lemons. Life gives you a bunch of lemons, you can make lemonade out of it. Even in the English language we have that expression. Well, that's what the Prophet ﷺ did. He took that negative experience, that negative episode, and he turned it into something spectacular, a dua that we still say until today. So these two things go are the same coin, just different sides of the same coin. Reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and exerting maximal effort. I'm not talking about exerting one-fifth effort, 20%. I mean all out, maximum amount of effort. When you read the stories of the early battles of Islam with Khalid ibn Walid and the Prophet and the Sahaba, they exerted maximum physical effort of stratagem, of strategic and tactical decisions to maximize the outcome. But at the end of the day, they were outnumbered. For like the first half of those battles, they were outnumbered, like in the Battle of Badr, 312 or 13 to 3,000. They did everything they could. But the reliance was with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's a lesson we must learn if we are to survive these negative episodes. And then the third and final lesson that I want to share today, of course there are many more lessons, is later on as Ismail alayhi salam grows and he gets married, you see one of the perks of being a prophet is you have the buraq. It's a special, like, it's your, it's your Gulf Stream, you know, five private jet. That's how the MBA traveled. That's the mode of transportation. How did Abraham come and go all those times in the story? Ask yourself that question. There's no metro or bus or you know, Chinatown bus or something like that. He had to. He had the buraq. That's what we believe anyway. So he comes and he visits uh, Ismail, but Ismail is not home. He's out hunting. And he knows that this is his wife, so he asks Ismail's wife, you know, how are things going? And she said, oh, life sucks. Life is difficult. We don't have enough food. The house is small. And it's all a, a litany of complaints. So Ismail, uh, Ibrahim salam, smiles and he says to her, tell your husband I give him my salams and tell him he should change, 
you know, the, 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 the mat of the door, the, end, the, the hearth of the door. So when Ismail comes back from hunting, you know, he has this feeling, because he's also a prophet, right? he has a, another sense. So he has a feeling that something is different. So he says, did somebody visit? She says, yes. What was he like? Oh, he was like this. What did he say? Oh, he gives you his salams and he said you need to change the mounting of your door. So Ismail said, this was my father and he has recommended that I divorce you. So he divorces his, this wife and he marries another woman also from Jurhum. Same episode happens later. Ibrahim comes and visits the same exchange. But this time the wife says, life is great. We have water and we have meat. We have animals and the house is spacious and she's always positive. So Ibrahim says, give your husband my salams and tell him to keep the mantle of the house. Same thing, Ismail comes back, what happened, etc., etc. My father is pleased with you and is telling me to keep you. What do we learn from this lesson? Nothing changed in Ismail's house. Nothing changed. You know, he didn't get a raise. He didn't get a new job. He didn't get a new degree. You know, the bank account didn't swell with more money. Nothing changed. It's the same house. It's the same water, zamzam. It's the same meat. It's the same, you know, widgets and cogs that they have. But the perspective of what we have was different. Instead of complaining, the second wife saw the glass was half full, not half empty. So we take from this episode a few things. One is not to get in the habit of complaining. And I know that's hard because we love to complain. We love to complain about how difficult life is. We love to complain when the elevator does not open instantaneously. When you press that button, it's the end of the world. Right? We never even think, well, maybe I should take the stairs. It's better for me. But if it's you know, one second too long, it's that, and it's even worse when you get in the elevator and somebody hits one, two, and three. And everyone's like, look, you're going to like the 18th floor and you're looking at them like, you could have taken the stairs. Right? We, we complain about everything. We go to the store and there are five brands of this and ten brands of that, but we complain that there's not eleven of this and eight of that. And we complain and we complain and we complain because of the, the plethora of options that we have as Americans. But we complain and we complain and we complain. But somebody, like a Rohingya, Muslim, if they were able to you know, flee their, their situation and come here, or a Syrian refugee, or a Yemeni whose house was blown and parents died with the drones that we pay for through our taxes, sorry to say, if they come here, this is like the land of milk and honey. This is, they're free. You mean I, I can be Muslim and I can come to the mosque and I can, you know, no one's going to shoot me on the way out? It's all about the perspective that we have with the immense Immense things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. All of the assets that we have. If you try to enumerate these blessings, you would not be able to account for them. And that's the point, or the problem rather, with, with complaining. Is when you complain, what are you really complaining about? You're complaining about what Allah ta'ala gave you. What Allah ta'ala facilitated for you. And not thanking Him for the bounties that you have. That your body works without pain. That you have food to eat. Last night I was with, a, with a, a college group in Baltimore. And I asked everyone, I said, how many of you have a bed to sleep in at night tonight? Everyone rose their hands. I said, how many of you are not worried about what, did, what you're going to have dinner? Everyone rose their hands. 
you know, how many of you have both parents alive and in the house? You know, everyone rose their hands. I said, right there with those three, four questions, you are ahead of 80% of the population. With just those things, basic things that we take for granted. We're ahead of most people, demographically, in this country and, and globally it's even more. Globally we're all the top 1%, compared to what's happening globally with poverty, with disease, access to water, forced migration, all of these tragedies that you know, occupy the globe. So is there something to complain about? Sure, you can find something to complain about. But is it a good habit? No, it's not a good habit. Because if you thought about the blessings that you have, Alhamdulillah. And this is why Imam Ali السلام, he said, when it comes to matters of the dunya, look to those below you, not to those above you. If you look to those above you, you're going to see that what you have is not enough. And you want more and more and more. But if you look at those less fortunate, you say, Alhamdulillah. I'm so embarrassed, now I want to give. I have five, I'll give you one. And I'll give you one, I only need three. I can skip a meal. And I can you know, help this person out. It's that you start thinking like that when you look at those less fortunate than you. And we don't have to look beyond our own county. There are people in this county that do not have enough food, that do not have enough medicine, do not have places to stay and to, um, uh, uh, to live and to sleep, etc. Do not have warm clothes for the upcoming winter, etc. In this, in this county, which is one of the wealthiest counties of the country, in this county we live in right now, there are people that need our assistance. So this idea of complaining, of gratitude, it's really magical. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَئِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ If you are grateful, I will give you more. The person that lives in a state of gratitude, lives in a state of abundance. Because they see that what they have is almost too much. I'm so embarrassed with what I have. I'm so embarrassed with all of the, the bounties that I've been given, the skills that I've been given, the advantage that I've been given. And the person that is, that is grateful for what they have, becomes generous with what they have. So God says, if you are grateful, I will increase. It could be like an increase, like you get one more. It could be like transactional like that. But it can also be an increase that all of a sudden you are so grateful that you're just like this. You expand with what you have. You don't see that the glass is half full. You feel like, oh my God, I have water for like five sips. Oh my God, you go crazy. That You're not even seeing it's half full or half empty. You're just so joyed that you have a glass of water. And if I took two sips, I can make wudu with the rest. And you start seeing all of the advantages in the little things. And you appreciate the little things. And this was the story of, of Ismail and his father Abraham with this wife issue. One was complaining versus one was grateful. Of course, there are many stories, too many, too many to enumerate. But let us take these three lessons. The lesson of reliance, the lesson of working towards the goal, and the lesson of gratitude. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم استغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلم تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على حبيبنا وقدوتنا وقرة أعيننا سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم. So a few announcements before the dua. Number one, 
regret, regretfully, uh, the little boy that I mentioned to you the last few weeks, he passed away, uh, Hedi. So make dua for him. He was seven years old. So make dua for him and his parents. There was a Janeza earlier in the week uh, in Adams, uh, and uh, he has a twin, a twin brother, a twin brother, I believe. So it's very hard on the family. But as I said, we, we need to put these things in perspective, inshallah. You know, for this young boy, he's fine right now. The difficulty is on the family, not on the boy. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it easier. Um, also, Tarif, as you know or might not know, he, he also is a little under the weather. Uh, I visited him earlier in the week. He's, he's in good spirits, but he has a little bit of pain in his leg. Uh, so make dua for him that you know he comes back because now all of his stuff is going to fall on me. So I'm selfish in asking you to make for his recovery so that because I have a feeling I'm going to be doing the Jumu'ah. You guys are going to get sick now the, the next few month, weeks. No, but inshallah, make dua for Tarif inshallah. And uh, Sister Lala, uh, who, whom you know, her mother is also sick. Uh, is Senegal? Yeah, uh, in Mali. In Mali. So I, and I think... I think she went or she is going, uh, so make dua for her mother, inshallah, for a speedy recovery. She's in France, she's uh, uh, francophone, yeah, the francophones. You know, the North Africans, they think they're French, and the Egyptians, they think that they're English. They forget that they're really African, but it's okay. Make dua for everybody, inshallah. Uh, early voting starts today, so register, uh, and if you, if you vote early, it'll be easier than waiting till the actual, till the 6th because of the lines, so you can do that. Tonight's halakha will be on schedule at 7.30. We'll continue with the principles. There's no Sunday halakha with tarif, of course. Uh, Wednesday, October the 31st, there is the candy hunt for kids at ICCP. So if you, I'm assuming this is geared to people that think that Halloween is haram. But you can follow my opinion and you can, you know, I can go out like, dressed like this and Halloween, that's fine. You get some candy. <laughs> so I don't believe Halloween is haram, but we have an alternative activity on the 31st from 5 to 8 p.m. And then the Mawlid celebration, see we don't do Halloween, but we have the Mawlid, very interesting. The Mawlid celebration, inshallah, is on Sunday, December the 2nd. Uh, details will follow, will be in the masjid, and as usual, it's going to be uh, geared towards the children. We'll hear uh, performances from the children and recitation. I'll say something about, you know, the importance of the Mawlid and the, the love of the Prophet, sallallahu etc. Uh, so with that, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his forgiveness and for his tawfiq. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us rely on him and to work at the same time. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make the difficult matters easy. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to heal the sick, to have mercy on those who have passed before us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless our parents and to have mercy on our children. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a, a pure forgiveness. Tawbatan nasuha. Fallahumma hadina fi man hadayt wa afina fi man afayt wa tawallana fi man tawallayt. Allahumma barik lana fi ma aatayt wa qina wasrif anna sharra ma qadayt. فإنك سبحانك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك ولا يذل من واليت ولا يعز من عاديت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت اللهم ارحم حينا وميتنا وحاضرنا وغائبنا وارفع أيدي الأمم عنا وأقمنا بالحق وأقم الحق بنا واحشرنا تحت لواء نبيك صلى الله عليه وسلم يوم القيامة واسقنا من يده الشريفة شربة ماء لا نظمأ بعدها أبدا ثم أدخلنا الجنة بغير حساب ولا سابقة عقاب ولا عتاب ومتعنا بالنظر إلى وجهك الكريم في جنات الخلد يا رحيم فاللهم اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وإسرافنا في أمرنا وثبت أقدامنا وانصرنا على القوم الكافرين وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين وصل الله على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم 
وأقم الصلاة إن صلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا